From the Lean Enterprise Institute in Boston, this is the WLEI Podcast, where we share stories of people making the world better through lean thinking and practice. For more information about LEI, including how we can help you apply lean thinking, please visit lean.org. Welcome to the WLEI Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Savas, and today we're talking to Fabrice Bernard and Catherine Chaviron. Please excuse my appalling French pronunciation there. Uh, Fabrice is the co-founder of a software group called Theodo, and Catherine is the author of a new book about Theodo called Learning to Scale at Theodo, Growing a Fast and Resilient Company. In the conversation, we dive into the evolution of Theodo's management system, how it found lean thinking, and how it compares to Agile, as well as how Theodo thinks about quality versus speed and what it does to develop people. It was a fascinating discussion, and we hope you enjoy it. Hello, Catherine and Fabrice. Welcome to the WLEI podcast. Thank you for joining me here today. Hello. Thank you for inviting us. Uh, so we can just get started with some background about who you are, what you do. I want to start off with Fabrice. Uh, Fabrice, you're the co-founder of a software company called Theodo. Can you just share a bit about who you are and, and what Theodo does? So we're an international tech consultancy. We um, founded a company with my co-founder, Benoit, back in 2009. And so we've been helping clients for 14 years now design, build, and deploy um, software solutions to business problems. And we've been, and the reason we're here is we've been on a lean journey since about 2012. Okay, and um, Catherine, uh, you're author of a new book called Learning to Scale at the Theodo Group, Growing a Fast and Resilient Company, based on a series of observations of Theodo. But can you share a bit about your background and what your interest in Theodo is? Yeah, well, my background is more industrial. I was uh, in petroleum company than in the automotive business for, for more than 12 years. And in the automotive business, I touched, of course, I discovered Lean there, uh, but I touched Lean in various support functions, logistics, um, payroll, finance, etc. but mostly in IT because I was part of the IT department. I was part of the... the uh, board members. I was one of the board members of the uh, big IT department we were in, and we were trying to apply the lean techniques of problem solving, of flow, etc., um, to our IT activities. And when I heard about uh, Theodo, that they were um, uh, actually using lean as a framework um, to to manage the the company. Uh, I thought that would be extremely interesting to bridge my experience with theirs. And since I was conducting uh, at the time uh, a number of Gemba visits to companies in France, um, I talked to them, uh, I called them, I had met them in, in different uh, events, but I talked to them and I asked uh, whether they would be willing to see me not just once for two hours, but for a number of uh, visits, each pitching on a specific business issue that a typical tech company would have, like retain customers, retain talent, uh, keep the edge on the technical basis and so on, and see how Lean was helping them there. So that's how we got started. And for those interested, uh, check out Planet Lean and just search Theodo, and you can see that series of articles that Catherine's referring to there. It's they're really excellent. Um, so, you know, Catherine, you you mentioned um, 
if Theodo has adopted Lean as its as its core management system, but but that's not always been the case. Uh, Fabrice, you founded the company in 2009. Uh, it experienced tremendous growth over its short history. And the challenge, it seems, with every software company experiencing rapid growth is, is how do you retain the innovative spirit that enabled that growth in the first place, while also being able to control the company as it grows in size and doing that without sort of um, stapling this uh, sclerotic bureaucracy on top of it. And I'm curious, how did you manage that problem um, over time at the Yodo and what led you to lean as a potential solution to that problem? So what is interesting in our journey is that we really started a company in the first place. You know, we started uh, um, our entrepreneurial journey with Benoit straight out of university. And the driver for that was clearly that we didn't want to work for a bureaucratic corporate. So, and because we, you know, we were young and, and probably a bit reckless, we thought, oh, starting our own company is the solution. And, and what is very interesting is when you start your own company, you realize that it doesn't take that much time to be hit by the problem of, mm. you know, implementing a bureaucracy again, because you start having quality issues. And I'm talking about, you know, at the scale of six, 10 people and not, not much more. You start having quality issues. So you start thinking, okay, I need to put processes everywhere. And then you start thinking, how do I make sure the processes are actually like followed? So I need to put like managers and 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 you're like a 10 people company, but basically you're back to square one. You're like this gigantic bureaucracy. Um, the, the difference we have in the software industry compared to many industries is that there was an obvious answer at the time when you were hit with this problem, which was agile. And we had been doing agile and, and you know, but not not clearly not disciplined, not not in a disciplined enough way, and probably not with enough maturity to understand really what what made agile work. And and so there's this like uh, turning point in 2011 when we're having yet another like quality issue, and it's you know software complex projects. You can really end up in like some kind of lose lose situations where you've really done your best, but you've not built the product that the client, the customer actually needs. You've built what they ask for, but not what they need. Mm. So they're frustrated, you're frustrated, everybody's frustrated. And, and what is interesting is that the answer when we said, oh, you know what, we should have done like proper radical agile, uh, but you refused. And they said, well, yes, I, I refused <laughs> when you offered the option, but you shouldn't have let me uh, choose. I sh it sh you should have imposed it. And so that was a turning point where we said, okay, now we're going to go full on agile, really implement Scrum and extreme programming by the book. And, and you know, and just find customers that are ready to 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 adopt this. Um, and we did find a few customers and it was amazing. Uh, uh, it was really day and night uh, that the customers were so much happier the products were better the, the, and, and the teams were much happier too. So it was really like this amazing like turning point in life where you realize, wow, there are ways of working that just make things so much better from, you know, on all point of views. So that's, that's you know, something that you have in the, in the software industry, um, which is these like very well-documented frameworks like Scrum or Extreme Programming that give you a solution. The problem, of course, is that we quickly realized that solution was amazing for 
small teams of mm. software engineers. Um, and this was long before um, consultancies started creating uh, uh, agile at scale frameworks. Um, so there weren't any of these frameworks, probably luckily for us. So, so you adopt agile, you experience uh, a lot of success. Why, why, why not stop there? What's what? What problems remained where you felt a need to explore something different? So agile really, what what it really changed, like when you you know, if you look at it from outside, is all of a sudden we had these teams, small teams of software engineers that were fully empowered with the customer in the team. And so they were fully empowered to solve the business problem the customer was facing. So in terms of scaling horizontally, like each new customer getting a new team, that worked like, you know, seamlessly. But that also meant that the company started growing very fast. And, and that's when we realized Agile was not the solution for, you know, recruitment or finance or these kind of jobs, which are not project innovation. Or collaboration, I guess, between different teams and so on. And the second problem, as, as Catherine mentions, is um, so Agile is not the solution for any team. It's clearly better designed for project innovation and, and, and software in particular. And it was not, it didn't give us answers on how to collab coordinate all these teams together. Uh, there were like some, some, you know, some people were starting to think about it. Uh, Jeff Sutherland had like started like writing about scrums of scrums, but clearly it was not as, you know, uh, uh, as, as this clearly set out as Scrum was for, for a small team. And then the whole, you know, you're growing a business. And so you're thinking about, um, you know, business strategy, uh, financing the growth, uh, and all these questions that clearly are, are, are not dealt with in the Agile community, on a clear, not as much. And so, so there's this combination of Agile helps us scale, but clearly hits its limits, failure, you know, as soon as we need to, you know, like, so as soon as you have new teams and new departments and etc and on the other side um there's there's this conviction now that we've experienced with agile that there must be a solution we can't be the only ones facing this problem and wanting to solve it in a different way um and so that's why i started like like i started looking for this kind of better solution that is works for the whole you know organization not just for the team and that's and so I was looking at it in the agile community, and I was lucky enough to meet in this agile community at the time um, somebody called Antoine Contal, who had been like a very like a pioneer in agile, tried to implement it in a large telco, um, met the limits of agile in a large organization, and discovered lean and become a lean consultant. So, Catherine, as an observer of of Theodo. Um, what in probably other software companies, I assume, uh, as an author, you have a chance to to meet many and in your own background, having served as somebody overseeing a large IT department at a automotive organization. I'm curious about, you know, what are the common problems you see in the software community? Um, like Fabrice said, Agile can address a lot of these, particularly when it comes to project delivery and software teams. Um, but do you also see that as a kind of limiting factor there? You see it struggle when you're trying to 
talk about managing an enterprise versus managing a pro project? Or what are the what are the common issues you see in, in software companies that you get to go see? Uh, I'd, I'd say probably this is the quality uh, aspect and the problem solving and the learning out of the problem solving that makes mm -hmm. the difference. Agile is excellent um, at driving teams, as, as Fabrice said, uh, uh, fast, fail fast, move fast, uh, break down problems. Uh, so the idea of small batches is very, very uh, obvious. The lead time, the, the, the challenge provided by the lead time is fairly obvious. The customer is made visible as much as we can with, a, with Agile. We try to talk to the customer more often than, than uh, in uh, other ways of uh, driving IT projects. But what was still missing probably was this um, capacity to learn from the failures, from the problem solving, um, and also the, the framework for the full company. What we try to show in the book is that the TPS, the Toyota Production System, offers uh, a framework for the for the leaders, um, and and provides them in in the words of Benoit, the co-founder of Theodo, it provides them all the time with the next step, because all the time facing a, a given situation, you are able to to check whether you are sufficiently focused with the customer and the product, or are you discussing internal processes. Are you obsessed with lead time? And and this Kanban, for example, is it telling me how long the the, the customer has been waiting for a solution? Um, Jidoka and Andon, Andon is very much used in Theodore. Uh, is Andon used to prevent bad quality to move on? Or are we just doing our best and letting it go? Uh, are we doing tests? Each time, at each step of the of the process in the project, or are we doing final test with user user acceptance test? The the whole difference was adopting TPS as a framework gave them a, a mass of solutions to 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 map or to bridge their difficulties. We'll get back to the interview in just a moment. Are you struggling to implement change inside your organization? Then join us at the 2024 Lean Summit in Carlsbad, California on March 19th and 20th with optional workshops on the 21st and 22nd. Dive deep into the transformative power of Lean and immerse yourself in inspiring keynotes and practical learning sessions. This year's theme is Shaping Tomorrow, Developing People and offers game-changing insights and actionable strategies for today's toughest business challenges. And here's a special tip for our listeners. Register by October 31st and save up to $900 on your registration. Don't miss out on this opportunity to expand your expertise and connect with like-minded leaders. Learn more at lean.org summit. Now, back to the podcast. I want to dive into the specifics of of how you actually bring that TPS framework to to life. You'll have to excuse. I'm not a software developer, although uh, with ChatGPT, I have managed to build some pretty impressive web applications that may be up for. I'm just kidding. Not about the developing applications. ChatGPT is staggering in its capability, but um, I can't read JavaScript or whatever Python, whatever that stuff is. But so I may ask some silly questions here. But I want to I want to see how this stuff comes to life because we're not talking about an assembly line, right? We're not talking about people fixing parts on a washing machine or a Toyota Camry. We're talking about people sitting in front of a computer and 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 typing. So how do you see something like Jidoka 
in that environment? How do you see like uh, connecting with the customer in that environment? I want to explore that a bit, starting with the customer, because that is where value is created. That is the most important thing. And for Breeze, I, I want to understand what are the practical things? What are, what are the things you guys do to feel connected to the customer? I mean, you said at, in, the, in the opening question, you would build things the, cu the customer asked for, but that they ultimately didn't like. By the way, as a customer of some third-party software providers, I know that feeling as a customer. Where I thought I asked exactly what I wanted and got exactly what I didn't want. It's, it's an amazing mm -hmm. how that happens. But how do you, how do you practically go about doing that? There's, so yes, I could I could give you like a really concrete example for every piece of the TPS house. Um, on value for the customer, what I think is amazing and agile, if you do it again by the book in extreme programming, you put the customer in the team and you iterate with them, which means that gives you a very you know um, simple and effective way of of understanding value because. You're, you know, you've got the customer in the team. And even if the customer doesn't know exactly what they want, you're iterating with them. And that's what I love about Agile. You know, this, this ability to create amazing engineering insights because you've got business and engineering in the same team experimenting continuously. Now, when you scale that, um, two things happen. First, you know, you can't really put the customer in every team of the organization. And also you can scale the customer. You know, sometimes the customer is not this, you know, um, decisive expert business leader, but actually a whole organization with different stakeholders and, you know, uh, um, not even being sure of what they need as an organization. Um, so this is where, uh, you know, um, the ideas of, of Lean become much more um, interesting. Um, so very, very concretely speaking, We've tried different ways of uh, uh, implementing the concept paper. Um, and the one way we kind of started uh, converging towards is um, is actually the Amazon's format called the PRF FAQ for press release and frequently asked questions, which I think is a great exercise in empathy for the users where, where you make the effort of writing a narrative of how your product is going to really, you know, change the lives of the users once it's released. And that like, you know, that, that, that allows you to have empathy for the users and customers and working backward, try to identify what are the product characteristics, the dimensions of your product that you will need to work on hard to really make it compelling and useful and valuable. And um, uh, sorry, please Catherine. Uh, I just wanted to, to tell a short story. I remember seeing a Gemba with Benoit, your co-founder, and he, he came onto a project. The first thing that the people on the project, and this is usually what you see in every project in the world that are being supervised or overviewed or audited by big bosses, they started showing deliverables. And Benoit stopped them and said, no, let's go back to the product. Let's look at the product. Show me the product first. And the, the conversation changed completely. Sorry, Fabrice. No, I think that's a great point. It's one of the tricks they use. Back to it's the very, product. It's a super relevant point because, you know, I can talk to you about concept papers or, or you know, Amazon's PR FAQ. But the reality is if then as a leader, you know, you just add, add it as a tool in your organization, it's not going to change culture. 
Um, and especially when you're like deep into delivering software, you know, you need, you need the help. You need, you know, you need continuous nudging to like take a step back and think about the value for the customer. Mm-hmm. And one way to do that is like, you know, typically the Gemba's, uh, the Gemba walks. And, and I love Catherine's example because that's exactly one thing that Benoit will do is like, stop telling me, stop showing me the deliverables and, and you know, <laughs> and the plan and the schedule, show me, show me the products, what are the dimensions you're working on. And therefore, you know, referring back to this initial uh, design phase, uh, product design phase. And, and you know iterating on it as, as we understand better what the product should be um so that's that's one very concrete way where we're we're trying to you know stay focused on value to the customer even when it's not one team and even if the customer is not within the team i want to talk about uh quality i'm very curious about quality uh, especially in the software world, because I know nothing about it. I only experience quality as a consumer when I go in my uh, app updates and I see all these bug fixes and things like that. Or, um, And only recently, again, I'm not a developer, but ChatGPT has made me peek under the hood of some um, applications, payment processing things, e-commerce platforms that LEI uses. And frankly, I'm just staggered that anything actually works. It's a real miracle out there that uh, this stuff actually works. It's extremely complex and and uh, very challenging to to work with. And in software, it seems the ethos has been, um, I think it was Mark Zuckerberg, he'd said something like, move fast and break things. You know, speed to delivery is the most important thing to acquire a large user base, achieve first first position in the markets, and then... You know, once that's done, you can go back and, and fix problems. Um, Fabrice, you seem to have a different philosophy inside of Theodo, uh, where quality is not sacrificed at the um, expense of speed, but you try to build in quality in the development process. You talked, uh, Catherine mentioned the word Jidoka, built-in quality. Um, what what does that look like in in the software world, or what is what is Theodos philosophy vis-a-vis quality, and how do you achieve quality in the development process? Yeah, there's. I mean, it's it's a fascinating topic that we've been working hard on. Um, the software market is really at the moment, or seems at least to be very much divided into two very different worlds. You've got basically the aerospace world, where uh, you know. The software, there's really a lot of effort putting into making a defect-free code, but that comes at a huge cost. Um, one metric I ha- I found was that they, they wrote about four pages of specifications for every 10 lines of code uh, when coding software for the you know for the NASA shuttle. So you can't build the internet in you know in, in the way that you build a, a code for, for the space shuttle. But on the other side, as you said, I think I think the industry is maturing and is fed up of the, um, you know, move fast and break things. Uh, Facebook actually removed that motto from the culture. So you can see that slowly we're expecting better quality code. And, and that makes sense because, you know, there's this famous sentence, software is eating the world. You can't let uh, something that is ridded with bugs uh, eat, eat the world. So I think there's this a bit of this reckoning um, and we've not had our, you know, full pinto moment as the American automotive industry had in the seventies, 
Um, but you know, it could it could happen in the coming years. And so at CODO, we're striving to find you know this this balance or you know better solution, more ingenious solution where we can actually achieve very high quality code without making it a very bureaucratic uh, process that would um, yeah be be unacceptable for most young software engineers today. So what we've and and we found inspiration for that kind of like more ingenious way and in, in an amazing book um, that we nicknamed Dantotsu because I don't remember the title, uh, but I think it's the the Nomura's book, yeah. The, the, so the book by Sadao Nomura called something like the Toyota Dantotsu Radical Way for Quality. Um, and and it's very it's 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 a very inspiring book for many reasons. Uh, one, it's somebody trying to achieve, you know, superior quality in an environment where people think they're already doing decent quality, and the market is not asking them to improve the quality yet. And I think that's fascinating, and um, and 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 also, I mean, the the book is fascinating because it's really the collection of three hundred A threes written by Sadao Nomura. So it's a very practical implementation of ra radical quality strategy. Um, so it might not be in our industry, but at least every detail is like addressed, and and therefore we can make amazing parallels. And, and one one of your CTOs actually fell in love with it. Uh, Woody Rousseau, I know. I, used to, I think he was the first one to start with the ABCDE segmentation. Maybe you want to talk about that. No, yeah. Uh, what happened is the book was discovered by Woody and the group. Um, we did a book club uh, among all the senior tech leaders in, in the group and um and we're very inspired and and the few the few things that you know I can easily explain that we've implemented I think one of the first thing we found really inspiring is the idea that you're not classifying defects by severity but by which in a way is is not useful in terms of learning it's useful in terms of you know prioritizing fixes but that's also already very sad because it means you're not fixing bugs that are not very severe so what what um what Sadonu Mura says is you should you should categorize them by stages of detection. And if you do that correctly, what you get is an organization that doesn't try to reduce the amount of defects. And that's of course when you're you know when you're in leadership, if you give the target of less defects, the easiest way to do that is to stop looking for them. <laughs> so by categorizing stages of detection, you can say um, you know, defects that are detected at a later stage needs to be reduced, but defects that are detected at an earlier stage should be increased. So you get this healthy target of actually looking more for defects and by and looking for them earlier. And you know, because you we, we believe that the earlier you detect a defect, the less you will have actually outflowing to the customer. So really quickly, we've got we we've identified uh, uh, five stages of defect. Uh, e is when the customer complains. D is when it's in production but the customer doesn't complain, which is quite specific to software. You know, in software you are able to release new versions to the customer, and 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 sometimes realize there's a defect before somebody complains. Uh, C is when it gets uh, detected by an internal customer, so it could be like QA department, product owners, product managers. B, it's when it's discovered within the technical teams. And A is when it's discovered actually by the producer themselves. Uh, so the, the software engineer 
writing the code and then realizing that what they thought would work doesn't work. So these are like all our stages of, of detection. And that's been, yeah, that's been, it's, of course, it's, it's hard to deploy at the whole group level, but we've, we've done uh, tremendous progress and it's been very exciting. It is amazing. So nobody reads this book. It's unfortunate. It is a, ama- yeah. it is an amazing book. It's a, it is. it is a fabulous book and it's uh I too can't remember the title. It has Don Totsu in it. So if you Google Don Totsu, you'll find the book. And I got to spend a week with that author, Sadao Nomura. He's an oh, amazing wow. man. And uh, what struck me about Mr. Nomura, we would go inside factories and he would tell stories about his time working with Toyota Group companies. And he would say his goal for this plant is zero defects. And he really meant it. That was not some sort of pie in the sky, aspirational. That was the job to be done. And they were set out on these um, uh, very thorough plans to achieve it, really built on discipline, where once a problem is identified, the time to solve it is not tomorrow, not this week. It is like right now. Yeah, it's important to point out this this aspect because, uh, and Theodore knows it very well, is if you don't have the challenge, you will never have the energy to to really go for that quality uh, search or that that bug search. Uh, it's so much easier to go to let go to let go the bug, and and that's what most software companies do. And when they eventually start looking at the bugs. The, the mountain of bugs they have to correct is so huge that let, they let go again. But what Sam Nomura brought in was this idea that, number one, you need somebody to challenge you. And the challenge was terrible because it was like decreased by 50%. And once you've done it, decreased by 50% again. But if you have the challenge without the competence and the learning and the problem solving and the Kaizen days and so on, uh, it's not going to work. So Theodore has the challenge and provides the leaders of Theodore's do provide the challenge, but they also do provide, this is really lean, the support, the management chain of support, the time to do it, the recognition when people do it, the sharing. Um, there, there are many instances in the book where we explain how they share through book clubs, uh, TV shows, uh, uh, discussions with uh, peer members, a uh, member of a peer group, and so on. So they do they do this recognition, they do this this uh, enabling enablement uh, enabling of mm-hmm. of quality. It's not only giving the challenge; it's giving the support as well. Catherine, you've emphasized a couple times now the importance of of learning at the crux of all this is is learning and i was struck as as fabrice described that abcd analysis they're not just looking for defects they're looking for the point of occurrence which presumably doesn't just teach you about the problems you have but the process that's causing the problems Mm -hmm. so where is the root cause of of this problem um, so it's it's going a layer deeper than just finding a bug. It's trying to find the source of the bug. And presumably that helps the organization learn so that it can do something to that process to fix it, to keep that bug from recurring. But 
Can you speak more about, you know, why, why do you say learning is important? Why is learning at the crux of all of this stuff? Why is it, why is it important? Um, I will, maybe Fabrice will, will explain what he does in terms of bug fixing and so on. But yes, learning is so important because the basic assumption of uh, TPS and, and Lean is that we're going to unleash the creativity of everyone in the company. Um, you cannot hope to, uh, software companies like many other companies are in a deep competitive situation. Uh, they have to strive to, re to retain a technical edge all the time, because as you mentioned, every day you have new chat GPT and IA and so on. Um, if they don't learn faster, than their competitors, they will just die. And that's true for, for most companies. So you have two choices. Either you learn, uh, you have a few experts, a few brilliant experts, and you rely on them to learn and to explain to the others what they have to do. Um, in, uh, or, you or you can try and get everybody to learn in the company learn on small things, learn on a code issue, on a small technical uh, upload, uh, learn of very simple things, but learn all, all the time. And it's much more efficient that way than relying on a few experts. So this is what Lean believes in. How do we create the conditions of learning every day, everywhere for everyone? Because it pays off compared to having a few experts learning. What's your experience with that, Fabrice? Is that what, what you're seeing at Theodo? What inspires me in Lean is, is this motto, you know, from Toyota, good thinking, good product. Mm -hmm. And I think it's even more true in the software industry than it's ever been for Toyota in the in the car industry. You know, there, there was a lot of debate around what is, you know, about the fact that there's a 10x programmer, somebody who's like 10 times more productive and and people saying it makes no sense, and other people saying, of course, it makes a lot of sense. And um, and I'm I'm on the side that some people, just by their design choices, can save tremendous amount of time, or or bring like a much more ingenious solution uh, uh, to the market. Um, and then the question is, how do you how do you uh, and not rely on one or two individuals who have this, you know, ability to 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 design better or come up with more ingenious solutions. But how do you make sure that your organization fosters these kind of abilities? And that's where I think, uh, uh, you know, lean thinking and Dantutsu in particular is this amazing opportunity to learn about the deep issues you can find in technology. And so therefore learning about the trade-offs and and the places, you know, the places are dangerous and those that are not, that will allow you to then later in your design choices um, make better choices and therefore make much better products. So there's clearly in our software industry, it's a lot about, you know, the quality of the thinking that goes mm. uh, that goes in the design phase and then in in, in the coding phase. And um, that's why learning is so important. And and if I may, because I don't think we mentioned it specifically, uh, Fabrice mentioned that the customer was brought inside the teams. They they do have a weekly report, uh, report discussion with the customer. 
to check on the speed and the quality of the delivery and so on. So this customer end-on, because it's it's a way of end-on for the customer to say, hey, guys, you're not going on the, in the right directions or you didn't do this or you were not delivering this properly. Uh, this is a source, a constant source of problem solving and end-on inside the company. The actually end-on has become a verb in Theodore. Mm-hmm. They end-on each other. You end on me. You didn't end on me. So they keep uh, using. So end on is very simple. There's no code or button or whatever. They, they just talk to each other, but they use the word uh, extensively because this is what triggers problem solving or problem discussion at least all the time. I want to explore one more topic, and and that's around. I guess what we've been talking about, which is people. Uh, Fabrice, you mentioned that famous Toyota quote, good products, good people. Um, from an outsider's perspective, like mine, it does seem like the software industry, like you said, Fabrice, is really, you know, companies try to identify that 10x individual and, and employees are commonly uh, traded. You see a lot of people moving companies quite regularly. Um that's anathema to uh, the Toyota approach, which is to, you know, presumably hire somebody for life. Uh, and it's sort of a mutual exchange where Toyota is providing job security and uh, career growth. The employee is expected to contribute uh, to the company uh, with their creativity, not just their hands, but their minds. And it sounds like that's an approach that Theodo is is trying to take, but what what does what does people development look like? Does Theodo have a philosophy about when it hires somebody, um, how it intends to develop them so that it can con- the person can contribute to the long term success of the company? So it's not just a short term view. Um, what is what is the thinking behind behind that? There's um... And clearly, what you see in the Silicon Valley, where people have, you know, an average uh, uh, tenure of like two years, um, is is the opposite of of what lean thinking would would recommend. Um, But it's also reality in the software industry everywhere in the world, more so in the Silicon Valley, but uh, um, it's still true in a lot of places. Uh, Yes, our philosophy is... We, we've been very good at hiring uh, graduates for a long time. So we will hire people out of university and and really invest in their, um, usually take people who have already shown ability you know, uh, uh, to code and have some experience already, because that's the amazing thing with software. You can actually do it as a, often you can do it as a, as a side project and therefore mm. learn it. Uh, way before you enter the professional market but you know these these young talented uh, engineers usually don't have the professional experience so we provide them with the professional experience with you know the the, the methodology to make sure they they uh, they deliver the best possible outcome for for the customers and and therefore we do have this kind of uh, mutual agreement which is you bring us you know your talent and your energy but we bring you a real step up in terms of uh, um, um, expertise, experience, and professionalism, and and we love that to happen uh, to to be a mutual agreement that lasts forever. 
Um, but we also have a philosophy where we consider that, you know, we live in an ecosystem. Many of these engineers will be tempted by other experiences. Uh, many will actually be inspired by an entrepreneurial journey mm. and therefore, you know, leave the company to launch their own thing. Um, and sometimes it, ha it has happened. Um, I mean, sometimes they've been successful, which is great. And sometimes they've been less successful and, and have come back with additional experience, uh, which has actually been incredibly valuable for, for the company. So, yes, we do have, a, a, let's say, a, um, kind of a life ambition, a, a long-term ambition, but we do acknowledge that this long-term ambition does include potential experience outside of, of, of our own company. And and they try, and it is not easy, but they try. They, this is part of the book as well, the discussions with the group HR, Mary, uh, to have a plan for every people. In mm. other words, to take what people are very good at and not try and change their weaknesses, but build on their their capabilities to go even further on, on, on that path. Um, this is really interesting because they will uh, capitalize on, on these good, uh, good qualities and, and build on them. Uh, which means that you can't have a training. Of course, they do have overall trainings for starters uh, to 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 get on board onboarding trainings. I would say on on the basics, but later on they will push people. For example, some people are extremely good at creating what they call enablers um, systems or tools or uh, devices that will help uh, the other teams to do something recurrent. Um, like uh, creating a login feature feature on an app. So how do they push those guys to to build enablers and create recognition out of it? Hmm. Uh, others will be great at problem solving. How do they push those guys at problem solving? Others will have a real entrepreneurship spirit and they've pushed those uh, to start the new spin-offs that are part of the theater group, which was a clever way of um, capitalizing on their mission and giving them a whole new area of market space to in, to investigate. So yes, they're trying to do the plan for every people. Catherine and Fabrice, thank you so much for joining me here on the podcast. Thank you thank for you having us. Thanks again to Catherine and Fabrice for joining me on the podcast. Be sure to check out Catherine's new book about Theodo called Learning to Scale at Theodo Group, Growing a Fast and Resilient Company. And that quality book we mentioned is called The Toyota Way of Don Totsu Radical Quality Improvement, and it's by Sadao Nomura. You can find it on lean.org. And thanks to all of you for listening. <laughs>